Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Berry, along with my always amazing, very good friend, His Eminence, Father Richard Halvin. Yay! Hey. And tonight we got with us Charles Frond. He's going to be talking about some very important stuff regarding the occult, what exorcists see, stuff we should know. It has everything to do with the spiritual battle that we're in. And of course, because we're in a spiritual battle, everything we do should begin with prayer. And Father, we leave that to you. Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Father. And as always, we thank everybody out there who supports the U.S. Grace Force podcast the u.s grace force effort in general father's website usgraceforce.com go out check that out great stuff on there but the u.s grace force podcast is dependent upon you your support your encouragement your prayers your financial contributions through the patreon program which you can check out in the link below go on out there take a look at it pray about it if you feel it's something you'd like to contribute to help us continue to get this message out then every dollar counts and it goes a long way and you are all all of you in our prayers and also don't forget that we have an amazing us grace force gear page with incredible t-shirt designs all kinds of great stuff you got to get the got gracie t-shirt of course that's father's dog the mascot of the u.s grace force so go check that out as well information is in the description below so thank you for all of those of you who go out to the u.s grace force gear page father tonight we've got quite a topic we're going to be hitting this is the rise of the occult and what exorcists see and we've got a great guest tonight yeah well and actually we it was recommended to us but then i went and saw you were on uh, dr taylor marshall's uh show and uh so it's, it, you you written a book um, which is fascinating. It's called the uh, Slaying Dragons: What Exorcists See and What We Should Know. Oh, uh, what's the other book, Charles? Again, the Rise of the Occult: What Exorcists and Former Occultists Want You yeah, to Know. So, so Charles, and we were saying too, you're, you're 44. You look 20, 24. No, 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 no. You look 14. <laughs> That's right. I'll take 14. <laughs> Anyways, we we're talking about that before we started here. But uh, he's um, really dug, done deep dive and and uh, and has a lot of fascinating uh, information to, to tell us tonight. And uh, we really wanted to have you on because we're actually recording right now on Halloween. And I was telling these guys too. I've had a foreboding feeling all day, and I didn't I didn't make the connection until like an hour ago that oh yeah, it's Halloween. I'll bet you that's what it's all about. But that's that kind of de demonic activity is going on all the time, and I think especially at Halloween. And we'll we'll touch on that in a second too. Uh, but but now we the, the this airs on All Saints, and so that's going to be part of our program tonight about you know how does the how does the communion of saints you know the church militant on earth the the uh, church penitent in purgatory and the church triumphant in heaven how do we team up together and how do we how do we stand against this rise of of the occult the rise of evil all around us so uh, Charles thank you so much for coming on uh, maybe we could start out I think. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, why you got into this particular area and uh, and maybe a little bit about, you know, an overview about the, the books that you wrote on this. Sure. Yes. Uh, and thank you again, Father and Doug, for having me on. It's, uh, I heard about your uh, podcast for so long. It's uh, an honor to be here. Yeah. So I think it's a, a great story as to how, like, for example, how I wrote the first one 
slaying dragons. This was what I call a happy accident of divine providence. Because so I was a high school theology teacher. I had been in seminary uh, prior to, um, so I'm 44 in my 20s. I was discerning the priesthood. It was in seminary for a year and a half. Then I discerned out, started teaching at a Catholic high school uh, theology. And in the middle of that, I started to discern that there was some kind of spiritual obstacle in my life, and I couldn't figure out what it was. This is a really long story made short. Uh, in the process, the priests of my diocese, who are well-trained in spiritual warfare, they recommended fasting, Exodus 90, all these prayers, Our, Our Lady Undoer of Knots, you know, deeper meditation on the rosary, but also the teachings of exorcists. So I started a deep dive into, first, Father Ripperker, his videos, and then I read all these books and articles and listened to all these podcasts and conferences, and they were answering all the questions that I had had for decades about certain particular things in the spiritual life, what demons can do, what our Lord does, the power of the sacraments and the sacramentals, very much so the sacramentals. But in the process, you know, I've been a writer and a researcher since I was like 12. So I was taking all, all kinds of notes just for my own benefit. But I looked down one day and saw the notes and like, I have a book here. And then I decided to self-publish it. And that was Slaying Dragons. And now after four years, it's sold over 25,000 copies. And it's in Spanish, it's in Portuguese, it's selling internationally, it's been endorsed by bishops and exorcists, et cetera. But it was an accident. I just did it to resolve a spiritual conflict. And it did. When I applied what I learned, my spiritual life changed substantially. And I learned so much that just clarified. And then as a result of the popularity of that book, I quit teaching Catholic um, theology to Catholic high school after 10 years and embarked on this full time. And then I wrote um, this one, which came out in March, The Rise of the Occult, I interviewed 40 people for this book. So 16 former cultists, eight exorcists, seven parish priests, six families, a whole bunch of other people. I didn't know this was going to be the topic. So when I set out full time, I'm like, what, what's my next book? You know, this is my income. I need to write books and give talks on things. And as you were kind of touching on with the rise of the occult, the increase of the demonic, quickly, the occult became the topic that I, I believed God wanted me to write on. And then, you know, after I said yes to that, everything fell into place. And then here's this, this new book, which is actually my fifth book. Uh, now, Charles, who are some of those who endorsed your book? You've got some pretty big names in here. Um, yeah. You've got Father Calloway. You've got, go ahead and tell, give us a list of some of these names. Yeah, yes. yeah, thank Father's you. Father's really good friends with a couple of them, I think. So Okay, yeah, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, he's endorsed both of them. Um, nice. Bishop Joseph Strickland, he's been oh. a great supporter, a big promoter of Slaying Dragons, and then my new book. And then Father Calloway, he endorsed them as well. And then just recently, Monsignor Rossetti, the prominent D, uh, DC exorcist, he endorsed uh, The Rise of the Occult, and he was already promoting Slaying Dragons on his website, the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal. And then a whole bunch of other, you know, uh, priests and exorcists, especially for slaying dragons, because it's been out for four years. Rise of the Occult's been out since March. Mm -hmm. So, but since March, with me being, you know, basically self-publishing a small publishing company, to get all those endorsements is very humbling. But yeah, thanks be to God. So, so Charles, let's start with the the first book, Slaying Dragons. Give us a breakdown what the book is about and some key points that you think the audience should know about. Partly so they'll go get the book because these are important books to be reading. Um, I, I'm going to get the book. I don't have it yet. So, you know, uh, we had a friend yeah. tell uh, us about you and, and uh, I'm fascinated. So I, I'm going to run out and get it. But go yeah, ahead. This, this is, no, this is important stuff. Yeah. So uh, Charles, why, why that topic? And what are some of the, you know, important points about that book? 
Yeah. So the, uh, the first book slaying dragons, um, which is funny cause I just, uh, designed this in Amazon's self-publishing cover creator. So it's very simple, but it's actually very appealing. It has a, um, James Tussaud artwork with our Lord casting the demon out of a boy on the front. So it gets the point across, but it's based on the teachings of uh, about, about 12 exorcists. Some are not exorcists, but involved in deliverance ministry. Then Adam Bly, he's a prominent layman. He's also um, one of the people I pulled from. That was a research book. I didn't do any interviews myself for Slaying Dragons. The Rise of the Occult, I did pretty much all of them myself. But Slaying Dragons goes through um the chapter one is actually kind of like a, a summary of the whole book almost it wasn't intentional but that's how it turned out but the point of the book is to explain what demons are what they do what they can't do the power of our lord to stop them and prevent them to, from doing anything that he doesn't want them to do how they can't do anything without his permission and then the power of the sacraments and sacramentals in particular the sacramentals to block diabolical activity to bring more grace into our lives, to really heal us, the importance of healing. So it's really, while it's a book on what exorcists see and what we should know, it's really a book about the spiritual life. Because one of the things people need to understand is that demonology, you know, low level, level one demonology is, is intrinsic in Catholic theology. The spiritual life is a spiritual warfare. So when you learn about how to block the demons, you're actually learning about how to love our Lord. The closer you get to Christ, the more the demons can't get to you, the more the demons are afraid of us. And the, the further, the closer we get to demons by sin and mortal sin and just uh, curiosity about the occult, the further we get away from God. So it's it's intrinsic to the spiritual life. It's not an optional devotion. It's not an optional focus, spiritual warfare. We must all have it. This is not obsessive spiritual warfare, obviously. We need to trust our Lord and surrender to him. But it, it goes through the experiences of exorcists. Chapter five talks about what they go through, how a lot of exorcists are actually persecuted, misunderstood by their own brother priests. Uh, but how also Slaying Dragons is kind of a lead-in to the rise of the occult, because the last chapter talks about the surge in occult activity, the surge in diabolical activity. Um, I think it was 2012 and 2016, the head of the International Association for Exorcists said we're watching, witnessing a pastoral emergency for mm -hmm. several reasons. The decrease in the practice of the faith, the few number of exorcists, and the rise in occult practice. So people are in grave need for this information and if you look at the reviews on amazon they're very humbling very impressive but what i benefited from the knowledge people have also benefited from reading the book not that i have contributed something from my own wisdom i've consolidated and, and compiled the wisdom of the great saints doctors of the church pope uh, papal statements and these living exorcists who are witnesses and people's lives have been changed by applying the basics of spiritual warfare to their spiritual lives that's the whole point of that book. So, Charles, based on what, what you just said about the pastoral emergency, you know, right now, as we're recording this podcast, we're seeing a rise in a lot of hatred in the streets uh, with regards to what happened in Israel just about three and a half or so weeks ago. Now, we're seeing a lot of, even on, on major universities, we're seeing it in well, just everywhere. There seems to be this, this division. We saw this during the whole COVID episode as well. A lot of vitriol and a lot of name calling because someone didn't have a mask on and and just the real attacks um i've always looked at it as you know the spiritual immune system when your immune system is weak because you're not taking care of it with prayer sacraments and so forth you know you get you're going to get sick spiritually just like physically if we don't take care of our health we become more uh more susceptible to sicknesses and viruses that's a great analogy i love that. 
Go ahead. I'm, I just, I just think it works so well. Our society is spiritually, our immune system spiritually is so broken. And I think you nailed it with this pastoral emergency, those three key points you mentioned. Charles, do you see a connection? I think a lot of people might look at spiritual problems as things flying around the room. You know, we've mm. had Father Ripperger on and Father Carlos Martins, and, and they will say that, you know, spiritual problems aren't just that. But when you see socially, the problems that we're seeing, the hatred and the marching and, you know, let's, the George Floyd riots, the, the the attacks against the dignity of people on so many levels that are so out in the open now. But are we not spiritually, immune system-wise, so weak because of these three key points you mentioned? Do you see the connection? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, uh, the pastoral emergency, as I mentioned, was in 2012 and 2016. And of course, now we're in 2023, and a lot has happened in those last few years, including Pachamama 2019, COVID, and the, the, reign, of, the reign of COVID, as I call it in, in my book, and the rise of the occult. Because if it's one of the things I like to emphasize when I give talks in my book is that the occult, the, the concern about the occult is not just witches, Satanists, Wiccans, and everything. Like one of the ways people get into the occult is through sin. So we are all, as as sinners, the more we embrace sin, we're one step away from being practical occultists. Because mm -hmm. when we, the ultimate goal in all forms of the occult, one of the things I, I saw was everybody's trying to become godlike or a god. And when we choose sin, we push God away. We make ourselves a god. We, as uh, I think St. Alphonsus Liguori said, a, a vice uh, a vice, what does he say? A vice is, uh, a vice in the heart is an, is an idol on the altar. So whenever we enshrine in ourselves a choice for sin, this is what guides my life. We were essentially committing idolatry. So that with society plummeting into sin, we see it tearing itself apart. And one of the things during COVID was fear. And if you look at the rite of exorcism, uh, which I've analyzed it once, I need to post about this, may put it in a new book. But the priest in the rite of exorcism is accusing the devil of all of the evils he's doing. And one of the big things that's emphasized over and over and over again is fear. The demon is trying to cause fear in the possessed person, fear in society, tear apart society, encourage sin in society, make uh, the traitor of nations is one of the titles, but also um, fear in the mind, confusion, confusion in the mind. So the devil's attempt is to tear us apart internally, tear us apart in families, tear us apart in communities, tear us apart in nations and throughout the world. And if you look, you know, there's speculation about what, era we're in now, like rightful, just speculation, like where's the Antichrist? How far off is he? But he's going to be the peace, the peacemaker. So he would, to be the, the, to woo us through peace, he needs to have a world that is broken and disheveled and up in turmoil for him to stop it and then prove himself to be some kind of miracle worker that people turn to. But definitely the spiritual life is primarily, um, not about things flying around, not about possessions, head spinnings and, and crazy things like that, but it's about what the devil's doing to break each one of us in order to break the church, break the culture, break the church, break the nations. Charles, uh, I'm, I'm, my heart's pumping as I'm listening to you because mm -hmm. I believe the same thing, but you, you put it so eloquently, but fear. And, you know, uh, I sometimes get accused of being political. I'm not, I'm not, but, but here's, and I'd love your, your input on this, but here's what I see going on in the world right now. So the, the 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 greatest tool or weapon, if you will, of the, of the devil is pride. You know, from the very beginning, right? Uh, you will become as gods. You will d d decide what's right and wrong, right? Right, right there in the Garden of Eden, and it's played itself out throughout throughout history as it is today. And so you have people filled with pride, and 
again, I'm not picking political parties, but the, the reality is, is that there is a ruling class that has, it's so full of pride. And mm. what do they want? And as I was listening to you, I was thinking about it again. They want us to be their beggars. They want us to be their slaves. They want us to be living in such fear. So let's open the border. Let's crash the economy. Let's, you know, let's have these intense COVID restrictions. Uh, let's have it. Let's incite George Floyd riots, whatever they can do to get us in the fetal position so that we beg for them to rule us. And, and that is the tactic of the devil from day one is, is to, is to, diminish us to such a way that we give up and, and we and we say take me take me and so you know they might get into a cult they might but mm -hmm. but they end up doing the bidding of satan out of out of sheer fear can you can you comment on that yeah two images came to mind is uh, the rise of the occult during covid during the lockdowns during the isolation and what the world was like prior to the incarnation. So if you think prior to the incarnation, we were prisoners. The whole world was, was a prison under the reign of Satan. And Christ came and ransacked this kingdom of Satan, stole us out as his, we were the, the treasures that Satan had acquired. And Christ stole it with power, as St. Thomas Aquinas emphasizes, and liberated us. So the church is this place of freedom, you know, this bastion of, of hope, uh, where this ship sha sailing in the seas with, the, the sails in, in full, you know, uh, fully extended and, and and full of hope and strength. But with the world wants to crush that. The world's always wanted to crush the church. But if you look at with COVID, I mean, this mysterious, weird, wacky thing that happened when all the churches shut down. I mean, that was like the fact that they were able to pull that off is remarkable and frightening. Yeah, but we were happened, essential while liquor stores and marijuana shops yeah. were essential. And, yeah. and what, what message did that send to everybody? But go go ahead. I, I just want to interject that. No, yeah, because so yeah. so for some reason that was pulled off with with the cooperation or the acquiescence of the bishops. And you talk about the fear, like fear. They knew they they didn't want to do this. Pastors didn't want to do it, but they did it anyway. Yep. And then what that did was they it sent all of us home. And what is home? The internet, pornography. Yeah. the occult and then you have this high-speed indoctrination yeah, yeah. high-speed indoctrination at a time when holy water has been deemed uh contaminated and dangerous they got don't yeah. don't use the holy water it could have yeah. some dangerous virus in it remember that i mean yeah. look at the the roman yeah. ritual what's the holy water fonts yeah. yeah despite what the blessing is on that holy water i mean the church just didn't care basically yeah. It's a message that that supernatural does not override any of this, right? Like holy water, right? Yeah. yeah, I was I was in a church where they the holy water fonts they had, they had put in each font on each side of the door. Um, this was out in uh, New Mexico, I believe. Um, they put a bottle of uh, hand sanitizer with a scripture quote on each one that had yeah. to do with you know I love your neighbors place. yourself, you know. And it was it was almost like it was almost like a little scriptural guilt trip. Yep. You know, as to why we're using hand sanitizer, but we replaced holy water with hand sanitizer yeah. and put a scripture quote uh, taped to the bottle. And you're right, uh, Charles, the, the fear tactic here uh, and psychologically, I mean, it's not even just how it plays on the spiritual side of who we are, but the brain needs to wash away. We had a Dr. Joe Lepetsky on the program once, and he works with Father Ripperger in analyzing cases and such. And he's very good at breaking down how fear it can be used by tyrants and such. He was in a film that we did uh, called Doom to Repeat It. 
And if the brain doesn't have time to wash away the fear and heal chemically, uh, that cortisol that kicks up and everything, that will slowly create more traumatic problems down the road because of accumulation. And when the fear is constantly coming from different angles, you're afraid on this side, now you're afraid on this side, now they're getting you with fear over here, then there's fear from back here, and it's coming from all sides, individuals can't necessarily have those peaceful moments so easily where the fear washes away on, on a chemical level we're talking about, and the brain can actually heal from that. And I mean, do you see, Charles, how that can play into how the, the demons can use well, how the demons can use that against us naturally in, in breaking down how then we can even manage it on a natural level. Oh, yeah, because one thing like, that's fascinating about the, the accumulation of fear, uh, I've never heard that before, but one thing that, that putting that together with something Father Heilman was saying, when they blocked out the holy water, what I was during that conversation, I was thinking that turned the holy water into a superstition. Like mm -hmm. this water, we... we we, our superstition, there are different definitions, but one is the corruption of good of proper worship. Not only like looking to a rabbit's foot and thinking it has a power to give you some grace or some spiritual benefit because it doesn't, that's superstition, but also the corruption of right worship. So if we claim one thing about the holy water, but then we think it actually doesn't have the power, well, then we're either insane or it's some kind of superstition. But the fear is corrupting the faith. So the, the, the fear... Um, inside of us, dominating us, is making us look at the faith as almost silly. Yeah. And it's making kids, like when I talked, when I taught confirmation in high school, we talked about the delaying of confirmation and making kids go through this two-year program to get this thing that only their parents wanted. And it made all the kids bitter, bitter towards the church, no longer trust the church. So when you have this, this the kind of this broken portrayal of what the faith is all about, where we actually, but we believe these things in paper, but in practice, we don't, it's going to push people away. And that's one of the things that leads people into the occult because the occult is promising and in some ways delivering supernatural manifestations, tapping into power that the church is not giving us because of the lack of lack of faith, basically. Yeah, I, in, we're in a prayer campaign as we speak right now, and they can find it at usgraceforce.com. Uh, but uh, it's 40 days to peace through strength. But the petition in there, and I got to do this by memory, but it's... Um, it's for a revival, no, for a supernatural revival in the church and for peace throughout the world. But see, uh, we, we're in a Eucharistic revival, which is wonderful. It's it's great. But I, I, we need a supernatural revival, right? And and I, I think you're right. I, I think part of what was was the, the deal that was dealt through COVID and everything and with, uh, with holy water and that is that it turned into something you know, at best, it's a superstition, right? Uh, and it downplayed it. And these are wonderful gifts that have been given by God that, again, the wise and the clever, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, would mock. And and that's kind of what's going on right now is those who deem themselves as wise and clever. Well, we see what's going on on, on the uh, Ivy League campuses and beyond right now, that they know better about what's going on and uh, and that's 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 the tug that's the tug of war right now, is you have those who are filled with pride, you know we're the elite class we're the Ivy Leaguers we're the this that and the other thing and what do they want they want to know something you don't know because you're the deplorables because you know you're 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 the know nothings right so so what do they do they just take the opposite view that's all they do 
you know, if you believe this, well, then we believe that. And and again, this is this is a diabolical manifestation that's going on right now. But it's it's working, uh, at least at this moment in history, it's working and it's sweeping people up and getting them to just, um, as you say, so many people are just leaving the church. And but where are they leaving and going to to this? You know, cool kids on the playground uh, thing that's going on right now. This elitism that's going on right now, and and again, that you will be right in the Garden of Eden. You will become gods yourself. You will decide what's right and what's wrong. That's exactly what's going on right now. Um, I I'm a firm believer. I know we all, you know, all three of us are in sacramentals. But uh, why why do you think? Charles Sacramento, because I've I've listened to you on the show right now, and it, when you get to sacramentals, you you seem to emphasize that even why sacramentals. And before you go, I want to just interject. Part of what I believe about it is that, uh, well, here I'll hold up. This is I just gave this to my staff. It's blessed and exercised by Father Ripperger, uh salt, and then I gave them all blessed and exercised holy water, and then I also gave them their own combat rosary. This is based on the World War I military issue uh, combat rosary issued by the government. Uh, anyways, I, I feel like I'm giving a commercial, but if the power of the rosary, the power of, of, of blessed salt, the power of this holy water, and this is epiphany holy water that uh, exorcists say is especially powerful, um, but the power of sacramentals, you know, why uh, to, to the wise and the clever, right? Well, these are superstitious nonsense. Uh, but what do you, what do you think is is um, you know why maybe uh, tell me, Charles? Why you seem to emphasize sacramentals when we're talking about all this? Yeah, is there's the, a lot of reasons. Um, one of the things you know by the wise and the clever made me think of uh, all in all the reforms post Vatican II. You know, one of the right. reforms is the Book of Blessings, and every single priest I've spoken to, both when I was a, when I was a seminarian and all this time researching, every priest hates that book. It's yeah. the revised Roman ritual. The Roman ritual has been around since 1614, and it was based on previous existing rituals that go back to the beginning of the church. The Book of Blessings is totally kind of butchering that, imitating watering that, yeah. totally watering it down, based on a whole different theology. So, and that's what we're presenting to the world right now is this watered down concept of sacramentals, which is not satisfying. It's not actually getting to the people. Like I grew up, even after getting through seminary, I was teaching for seven years in, in the, uh, Catholic high school, teaching theology after going, going to seminary for a while, after having a master's, all I knew about with sacramentals was like three or four of them, just, you know, holy water, rosary, it's crucifix, something like that. Didn't really know how it worked. Didn't know about blessed salt, blessed candles, blessed oil, all these sacramentals that are tied to saints. But the real reason, the real trigger, so to speak, to use that word, um, for me for sacramentals was during my research for slaying dragons. When I was, because the exorcists kept talking about it, they use all the sacramentals, the relics, the blessed salt, um, blessed metals, crucifixes, uh, even the stole. Even the, the vestments that a priest wears are sacramentals. They're blessed in a special way. Using those to irritate the demons and liberate these people from the oppression they were going through. But one of the things they said was, we can use them. We can consume them. So I started to, to use blessed candles, blessed oil, blessed salt, like all the time. And it really conditioned my soul. I was given a grace, long story that I won't go deep into, but God gave me a, a grace to make a really powerful, contrite, deeply contrite confession. 
the best confession I think I've ever, ever made, the most impactful. It was so trivial. It was the common confession that I always made at the time about four years ago, right before I published Slaying Dragons. But the impact of the conditioning that my soul experienced by devoutly using these sacramentals and then going to confession, God was able to reach me and tear out certain uh, lots of attachments to sins that I'd carried since my youth when I was kind of a wayward nominal Catholic youth in my in my teens and early 20s. So the power of the sacramentals for me was experienced firsthand as a result of doing this research. And then one of the things I noticed with my research for Rise of the Occult is that a lot of people were going into the occult because the occult offered powerful so-called you know, ritualistic, sacramental-ish things. The occult is a mockery of the faith. Mm -hmm. So in the occult, they have candles, they have incense, they have statues, they have rituals, they have prescriptive prayers and things. And the people want mysticism. They want powerful ritual. They want powerful prayers. They want God to be uh, with them through the through this world. And that's what Christ did with baptism, is water, the Eucharist, is bread and wine. Holy water is water, crucifixes are, are wood. God wants to reach us through all these tangibles. And when the church doesn't provide it, the occult is. And it's pulling people away. It's deceiving people into this false form of worship, this counterfeit, which is the occult. But in the history of my research, I'm doing a lot of research right now in sacramentals. I'm realizing that so many miracles have been attributed to sacramentals. So much change in life, so much building of Christian cities and nations has been attributed to the devout use of all the church's rituals. There's a reason that we have these and we need to bring them back just for the good of the world, for the salvation of souls. Charles, I'm curious, uh, the book Rise of the Occult, can you break that down for us a little bit uh, as well? I mean, you've got two great books. We want to encourage the audience to get out there, get them, click the link in the description, go on out. Get these books. This is the kind of reading that we need, especially the, I mean, these are like manuals. So especially in, in light of what's going on in the world and the need for us to strengthen our spiritual immune systems, you know, sacramentals, as you and father just discussed, what else in the book rise of the occult do you think is, is important for people to really take to heart? Yeah, so the Rise of the Occult is about twice as long as Slaying Dragons. Slaying Dragons is designed to be a quick read, very accessible. Uh, the Rise of the Occult is also very accessible. It's not as quick of a read, but it covers, while it follows the, it follows the stories of the 16 former occultists and the exorcists who worked with them and exorcists who work with general people who get into the occult, but it's, it's relevant for us because some of the themes, so like I'll look at the... Uh, the table of contents right now. So it's where the occult is all throughout the culture is how it starts. And then how the occult has infiltrated society, which we all see, but how it's also infiltrated the church through the members of the church and through certain parts of the hierarchy, which is an unfortunate reality. I didn't know, almost didn't put it in my book because I just didn't want to go there. It's so dark. But priests I spoke to were like, no, it's it's real. It's really happening. Like I'm not being sensational. This is factual things. I'm quoting cardinals and bishops prominent cardinals, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Seurat, and others um, who are talking about this. And then how devastating the occult really is to society. How well, it tears. I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you give any examples of the last point you made about the fact that it's it, it's it's into the clergy and, and, and some of that approach and that you've been, that's been confirmed by some of these you just mentioned? What's an example or two of that? Yeah, so, well, the, the most eye-opening one, of course, is Pachamama. Like mm. The fact that that happened. So that, it's two things. It's objective idolatry. You have these sage-mudging rituals that Francis and the Cardinals did in, in uh, Canada, which was very public. You have Pachamama, which entered into the Vatican. 
And then you have these, which was condemned by Cardinal Burke and F Bishop Athanasius Schneider, including lots of bishops in South America who see the impact of Pachamama, see how evil it is, that it's it's a goddess of fertility. And as one exorcist said, right next to the, every goddess of fertility is a goddess of death. And that could have been, you know, what COVID brought and what could come next. Can but I interject then, real quick? I like to do my, my little connect the dots when it comes to that. Yeah. But um, on October 6, 2019, and I, I believe October, because according to Father Regis Scanlon, the 100 Years of Satan ended on October 13, 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, so right that same week on October 6, that was when the uh, they brought the Pachamama, and it was the beginning of the Amazon Synod, and they brought it to the foot of the altar at St. Peter's. And I always say two steps away from the bones of, of St. Peter, right there, mm -hmm. Um then also, Our Lady of Akita uh, sent a message to Sister Agnes Sitsagawa on the same day, October 6th, saying, put on ashes and pray a repentant rosary, like Jonah in Nineveh, right? Mm -hmm. And then on October, uh, then reports came out that on October 7th to October 24th, there was no, of that same year, there was no cell phone activity, indicating some event occurred hazardous event occurred on October 6th that all happened at the same time. So yeah, Pachamama. I mean, uh, it, it, no matter what the intent was, the optics. And, and I, I saw in a couple parts of the world too, they would say, oh good, like, oh, let's bring out pagan idols and, and, and you know, in our churches now. You know, I, I mean, so anyways, go go ahead, Charles. But I, I just wanted to interject that, that, you know, God sometimes whispers and sometimes he shouts. And one providential thing is I, I published Slaying Dragons um, a week before the Pachamama event, not knowing it was coming. I wow. wasn't paying attention. You have churches and parishes that just embrace these things. And you have pastors who, one of the former occultists I interviewed, got into the occult because her pastor recommended that she go to a Hindu ashram to study meditation to find some kind of spiritual healing. This was a Catholic priest wow. who pointed her in that direction. And that's just one of many, many examples of the, the occult being in the life and in the minds of pastors and bishops. And then as some exorcists pointed out, like what, like there must be some occult connections that aren't very public when it comes to these bishops who are promoting all forms of deviant sexuality, you know, not, I don't want to trigger any YouTube censors, but we all know what, what that's all about, that these bishops are promoting things that go completely against Catholic doctrine when it comes to like homosexuality and things. And he's like, what have you been doing that got you to that point as a bishop that you'd be willing to promote something that is obviously gravely immoral? Um, so some of the, and then if you listen to the way Bishop, um, the Cardinals that I mentioned talk, they emphasize a diabolical infiltration and apostasy. And we see it, we see it like Cardinal, was it Cardinal Pell was calling out Cardinal, um, Another, like a German cardinal for heresy, asking Rome to intervene. And it, they never did. Rome never stepped up. And of course, Cardinal Pell passed away, uh, went to his reward, unfortunately, before this was resolved. So, but you, so you see it playing out. And then I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the story of Rachel uh, Mastro Giacomo. She was um, uh, abused by a priest um, through a satanic ritual, like satanic SRA. And there are a lot of these. So that's part of my research. I talked to her about her experiences with this priest, and she's doing a lot of things. I think she's writing a book on it, but I tapped into a lot of these, and there seems to be some kind of toleration of occultic behavior behind the scenes in a lot of parts of the church that is really 
dark and unfortunate and things I don't even want to research about, but it's happening and it needs to be exposed because, because of the situation we're in. When the church drops the ball and we are the children of the church who need salvation and the church is the members of the church. Of course, the church is perfect, the mystical body of Christ, the bride of Christ, but the members of the church who are in charge of our salvation, if they're not doing it, we are in danger and that's a big problem. And that factors in, like this, all this research came up when I was interviewing former cultists and exorcists. Um, so, so that's chapter, chapter four um, in, the, in my book. But then the Rise of the Occult goes on to talk about the different things that are drawing people in. The lack of faith, ignorance of the faith, uh, wounds. Wounds is a big thing that ties, the wounds tie into what we were just talking about. With people being torn apart by terrible philosophies and theologies, with immorality spreading throughout the culture, with uh, the rise of, of pornography and the occult from COVID, like we're seeing damaged people, damaged youth, broken societies, and the devil just jumps on that. And that's one of the big gateways for occult activity. Um, and then another big theme that carries throughout the book is that a lot of people think the occult is innocent, is just for fun, is just a game, is just all, you know, even like the Ouija board, they think this, this is a game. But what I've learned very clearly from all these case studies that even just a little bit of dabbling opens the door to intense diabolical attacks and pushback and people get trapped. There's something called the point of no return that came up a lot that once you get cert to a certain level with occult practice, it's almost impossible, almost impossible to get out because your will is so broken. Your will is so attached. It's very addictive um, and people don't want to leave and the demons don't want to let go of you. Charles, I, let me throw this out to you. So when you're talking about like point of no return and, and kind of these entry level, you know, points of entry, portals of entry and such to the diabolical, um, I'm guessing, and, and you would know this since this is what you've researched and written about, that a lot of people might be dabbling in things, whether it's Ouija boards, Harry Potter, um, yoga practices, all things that I know key mm -hmm. exorcists have said are portals, points of entry. And I would, 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 would you agree or can you comment on, do people dabble with this? just kind of thinking it's not that big a deal. You know, we're just kind of playing around. It's not like we want to have small animal sacrifices with a pentagram in the backyard and candles lit with robes and all kinds of bizarre chanting. They're just doing these things because they're kind of trendy and they're kind of, kind of in the, in the way of the world they are considered cool. Do you think that's a large part of it that it's just this kind of simple dabbling to begin with, but they just don't want to give it up because they can't believe that this could really lead to anything more or, or what do you think that that is when it comes to those types of things? Yeah, I think people do start dabbling and they, they don't want to give it up because almost be, almost out of like uh, a teenage rebellion, like, like there's no way this is bad, so I'm going to keep doing it. But that's a secret pride. It all goes back to pride. There's also the other sense that they start dabbling, not thinking much of it, but then they start to taste the power because there is power. There is There's a reason people keep doing yoga for example, because it's a self-empowerment practice. Even if you talk to people who say they're Christians and the yoga they're doing is not uh, Hindu or whatever, if you listen to the way they talk, there's this empowerment coming through this exercise, quote unquote, exercise program. And that's when you know that they've strayed either in their program and they're into some kind of, because there is a spectrum with yoga. Some is just stretching misnamed as yoga. And they're just trying to help their back because they hurt their back. But other people are going into for some kind of self-fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And this can be addictive and you can progress in it. And then once you get into it, you don't want to let it go because you have tasted power that that other people, you know, that, that you've been seeking that other people might not believe is actually happening. So that's just yoga. But with, with Ouija boards, one thing interesting about Ouija boards 
is that um, a lot of occultists won't go near them. They think they're very dangerous. Mm. But it's so fascinating that a lot of occultists won't go near a Ouija board. Like there was one, uh, Philomena, I think I gave pseudonyms to all the people I interviewed, but Philomena, she was being kind of coached by two witches who were friends of hers. And they warned her, if you ever, if we ever hear of you going anywhere near a Ouija board, we will drop you like a bad habit because it's so dangerous. The demon that speaks through that thing and can latch onto people through that thing, they won't go near, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. But also with Wicca, there's one story of a guy named Frank. He had a Wiccan friend. And a Wicca, they present themselves as, you know, tree huggers, earth worshipers, peaceful people. But they're really dab they're dabbling in powers. They want power. They want to become godlike. They want to tap into these deities. Um, and But it's addictive. And this is the thing. Like Maybe they think they're doing some peaceful rituals, but eventually they want, to, they want more. And that's one of the big problems about the occult. And this story with Frank, like the Wiccan said, hey, I just learned a new ritual where we can summon a demon. So why would a Wiccan want to summon a demon on purpose unless there was some kind of addictive progression that was happening? And that's one of the big red flags. And this demon attacked them. And, and one, of the, one of the people was permanently disabled mentally yeah you know I, I i'm i'm listening to this and i'm thinking about what's going on in the culture is very similar to what's going on in the church so one of the words they throw out is woke and uh, to me i interpret that as again something we talked about earlier and that is somebody who believes they're at a place of superiority in their knowledge of the world or or, or anything uh so they're woke, they say. They've awakened into something that we're still sleeping in, right? So they're woke. And I just feel like that's what's happened in the church as well. Mm -hmm. There were There's individuals who uh, somehow, some way, were in uh, places of power and influence within the church, and they started uh, us on a path toward their new truth their new idea of what the church should be, their new idea of how we should look at things like sacramentals and and supernatural powers and things like that. And I feel that we, we suffered through that, uh, I think especially right after the Council of Vatican II. You know, they use, oh, yeah, even though it's not in the Council, it's the spirit of Vatican II, right? In order to usher in their woke list, right, of what they wanted. And so I we've... We hundred years of Satan to destroy the church, right? And you're right; he can't completely destroy it. But boy, have we gotten weakened, and have we gotten divided, and are we vulnerable to attack from the di diabolical? Uh, Charles, having said, first, I, I hope you agree with that, and maybe you can comment on that. But but also, what's the way out? What's the what's how, what's the solution to this? How where what direction do we need to go in order to overcome this these People who wanted power and control, we see in the culture, no, and we also see in the truth, and took us on a path that is, I'll just say it's not working, but I think it's diabolical, actually, uh, to get us to, to, to become weak and divided at this point. In other words, to no longer have a strong sense of belief mm -hmm. in the supernatural power yeah. of God. I think that's been the biggest thing that Satan's done to weaken the church. Um, so maybe comment on that, but also wh wh where do we go from here? Yeah, what, what you made me think about first was what, because I was in the seminary program um, for about nine years, did a couple pastoral years before I actually got to go. So I saw the politics, which I was clueless about until I actually saw it. Like, I didn't know there were politics in the church. I was very naive. But it was this program of 
reprogramming men who wanted to be priests. You may have heard of the book, Goodbye, Good Man. Yep. I never read it, but I had heard, you know, firsthand accounts of things that were in there from priests I knew. So they were, this was a systematic program. Like this was an agenda. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's not conspiracy. This was an agenda to reshape the face of the priesthood by filtering out men who wanted to be priests, who wanted to preach the Catholic faith and, and nurture the faith in people. Of course, JP2. It's dangerous, right? Yeah. They yeah. like if you didn't agree that women could be priests, they would cut you from the program. Like it right. was that kind of filtration thing. You had to acquiesce. You had to give up certain dogmas, like publicly. It is a form of apostasy, really, for you to go on to the seminary. Mm -hmm. So if those good men were weeded out, they then you know, the less good men. I know there are a lot of great priests. A lot of people made it through. A lot of good men did make it through the priesthood, but a lot didn't, and a lot of lesser ones took their places. And that has destroyed the faith. And we see like it is this this pride, this arrogance, this condescension. Like we know what's best for you. We're going to water things down. Like the whole synod thing was just a month of talking about nothing. I've heard reports that a lot of bishops and people just left because it was so just pointless. And, and that's, a, that's a good, hopefully that's true. Um, but so it's been devastating. The faith, like a lot of Catholics don't know how to believe the traditions of their faith. They don't know how to really engage. And I've suffered from some of this. They don't know how to really engage the Eucharist. Like we, we believe it, we know it, but we've been so secularized that to say sacred things, to use a sacred language, to be pious is so like unnatural now because we've lived in a secularized society, secularized church for so long that... So, so what we really need to get out of it is, is real courageous devotion, like real, yeah, practical applications, practical manifestations that we actually believe in things. So processions, Eucharistic processions, right. bringing back all the sacramentals, talks on sacramentals. Sacramentals are very, very focused. They lead us toward the sacrament. They are right. the way that we can come to understand how the sacraments really work. And, and they all work together, the sacraments and sacramentals. We need priests who are preaching all these things. We need fasting. Like well, That's what yeah. initiated my research for Slaying Dragons was 90 days of lots of fasting. I lost 20 pounds. I've always been skinny, so losing 20 pounds was not a healthy, healthy decision. But I was after something spiritual, a spiritual gift, treasure, understanding, and God began, began to give it to me. So we have to become really penitential people again. Like, look back to the ancient church. Like, what did they do? How, what did they take seriously and take up these practices? Because that's it's a supernatural solution. We want the supernatural back in our world. It's going to take a supernatural solution, which is prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and the treasures of the church actually using them. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, though, requires an investment of someone's free will and it's one of the most difficult things in the world and it's funny because i you know in my beer coalition work um talk a lot about you know body mind soul how do we get in better shape and one of the things i address is if you want to get in physical shape better better physical shape one of the simplest things you can do is just change what you feed yourself because 70 75 percent of your health is your diet and that doesn't mean necessarily just cutting back on calories, it means putting the right kinds of calories in. Cut back on things like processed sugar, which is like a poison. Uh, high yeah. fructose corn syrup, artificial colors, artificial sweeteners, and so forth. The investment, though, of your own free will to do that is so difficult for some people because we're so accustomed to the ease of just eating whatever tastes good, whatever's there. And I know, because I lived through it myself, it's hard to cut back on things that you really enjoy even though you know that they're not great for you, 
So when it comes to the spiritual side of this, I mean, Charles, do you think that there's a lot of that in this that you're going to say to somebody, okay, you're having some some problems spiritually, connecting with God, having a good life, your marriage, your family, whatever it might be. Maybe you got to cut the yoga out. No, no, no. I, it tastes good. Yoga tastes good. Not yogurt. Yoga. Okay. <laughs> in other words, the practices of of things that might be, you know, uh, reading horoscopes or or any of this sort of stuff that does have this, as you say, clear connection to something that could, you know, be teasing the diabolical a little bit. That appetite that we have for that, it, it takes an act of free will. Can you address this? And I know there's mystery to this because we, we've got to rely on God's grace, but it's kind of like, why do I want to go to God and ask for him to give me the grace to stop doing something that I enjoy? And if they don't quite see, if they're blinded and they can't, if we can't see where these things could be hurting us until a doctor looks at you and says, hey, I've just run your blood tests. Your kidneys are terrible. Your liver enzymes are whacked out. You've got to change. You've got this janky health. That's a word my friend Steve uses a lot. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but I think it's kind of bad. Is You've got this janky health. And you've got to fix it or you've got, I don't know, six months, a year, and you're going to be in the hospital. You're going to be on medication even more than you are and so forth. Charles, is this not kind of the root of the problem is we have free will. God will not manipulate it. And we have to choose to give up things that we might have an appetite for, but that at the root might not be healthy for us. And I think that's why a supernatural solution is what a lot of Catholics now are expecting. Yeah. Like we are at the point of no return back to what can happen in the individual life of an occultist. Like this is the culture, the world has gone past the point of returning on its own. Mm. It's that bad. They're, they, the church, the mess inside the church, the mess inside nations, countries throughout the world, the mess inside most people's lives, especially even with food, like that is messing with our mind, messing with our, our attachments. A supernatural solution is the only thing left. Now, barring a divine chastisement or some kind of illumination, whatever God wants to do, uh, a miracle of the sun kind of thing, the practical way, practical in a supernatural Christian church history way, is for holy men and women to rise up individually in different parts of the world these super saints we need, like maybe even it could even be Elijah and Enoch. Like maybe those are the only two left who are going to rise up and preach in the streets. But if people see miracles happening through holy people who have embraced the church's perennial disciplines of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, sacraments and sacramentals, then they'll realize that's what I must do. And now we have something to imitate. People don't have anything practically to imitate. There are all, though we have books about saints and videos and movies about saints, we don't have these mega saints walking around. We don't have reports of miracles that, you know, that I've heard of anyway. I haven't met a saint, you know, walking down who's been healing the healing the sick and raising the dead. Uh, but that has happened in the history of the church. And if that could, so really what it takes is some of us, some of us to lay it all down. And I've said this like 10, 20 years ago. What I think needs to happen is our generation or parts of our generation to give it all up, embrace the monastic penitential life, embrace the full Catholic life. And that will trigger an avalanche of grace and conversions. Yep. But that So a few people who are ready to sacrifice their wills could be enough to get everybody else to do so later. You know what I'm thinking about, Charles, as I'm here listening to you is uh, just today I was communicating this, but uh, in our diocese, we're doing a restructuring and it's challenging. It's, it's not easy. And, uh, 
And, but but then I said, well, it's not easy to be at football practice. It's not easy to be in military training. It's not easy to do fitness training. But but look, each one of those, as I used an example, you get better by choosing to to do what's challenging. And and that's what I think we're, we've softened as a culture. We've had it easy. We've had so many blessings, right? So many wonderful things that it's hard for us to do the challenging thing. And so when I was listening to you, Charles, I was thinking, you know, that's the way I would frame what you just got done saying is, is we got to be willing to do the challenging thing. And the first challenging thing we need to do is to discipline our prayer life. Okay. And you said it with monasticism, right? And, and with disciplining ourselves and our eating habits, for instance, uh, with fasting and, and including that fasting, go do the research, everyone. The, the science is caught up to God. You know, he's been, he's been telling us to fast from the beginning of, of creation, right? Now, now it's turning out that it's healthy for you. It re actually regenerates your cells. It actually brings youth back. You know, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's miraculous almost. But so, but, but the point I'm saying is that, is that we got to be willing to go to football practice, to go to military training, go to fitness training. We got to be willing to do the challenging thing. And, and then what happens though, is that we're healthier, not only physically, but spiritually. And then what happens? Then all of a sudden, the evidence of that health comes out. And by mm -hmm. I use the word evidence, but I could have used the word fruit, mm -hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control. I'm missing one in there. But from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's how this thing spreads, right? Mm -hmm. But you got to make that divine connection. Right. And and God, who is a perfect parent, asks us not to make treat him as a candy machine, but you want it, you know, like a good parent. You want it, show me you want it. Right. And so <laughs> we got to do the discipline. We got to make the connection. We got to spend time with the Lord. We got to develop that prayer life. We have to, you know what I'm saying? And those are the saints that we're talking about right now. So they go in disciplined in their spiritual lives and they come out just blasting the fruit of the Holy Spirit to those around them. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that, Charles? Again, if there was more of that, back to the issue of the occult, people would, would see that and run yeah. after it. It would become appealing. Yeah. It would be yeah. attractive. And they would Something see supernatural is going on with it. And I believe two miracles start happening to people that, yeah. you know, because uh, Jesus would get asked, can you, you know, can you heal me? Do you believe I can do this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yes, Lord. Boom, he'd do it. It was because of your faith that it happened, right? So you got to lean in. You can't just, you know, Treat God like a candy machine. You got to lean in, uh, and and that's what a good parent tries to draw out of his their children. A striving, he wants us to strive to rise to be the best version of ourselves we can possibly be. But if we're kind of like you know treating God like a candy machine and kind of going through the motions of our faith and punch the clock faith and stuff like that, it's not going to work. You know, it's it's not going to bring about that supernatural power within us. Yeah, and I think faith is, is like you said, faith is so critical because in my research on sacramentals, sacramentals rely a lot on our faith. So do the sacraments, but even more so, like miracles happen through those who believe and by, and by believing. So if we, we need somehow not just to embark on prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, but somehow faith, a program of nurturing faith, like just right. believe that Christ can do these things, and then he will. Right. Uh, so it it... it because if you treat him like a candy machine, it's actually a form of superstition. But if you have yep. faith in him, it's a personal relationship where he That's can it. deliver. Charles, I'm curious what your, uh, we're getting close under to the end here. What is your recipe or let's say bullet points 
for anybody in the audience who realizes after going through this podcast, yeah, there's a few things I need to change up. I've got issues. I know I've been dabbling in this, that, or the other thing. Kind of a general bullet point list of what people should be doing to get back on track, to, to turn that big old boat just a couple of degrees and start changing the trajectory of where it's going to land. What would you say? Yeah, it's a, it is the, the first go-to, of course, is is confession. Like if these are practicing yep. Catholics, you know, get back to confession. It annihilates and sh shatters many strongholds that are inside of our souls. Oh, and hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. We got to emphasize those those words right there. It right. annihilates. That I mean, it annihilates the strongholds. Yeah, in our yeah. Let's look at it that way, everybody. We're yeah. not just going to kind of check a box and hear Father say you're forgiven. Right. I mean, that's great. We need the absolution. But it annihilates right. <laughs> strongholds of the soul. That's awesome. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Awesome. I just I'm had to emphasize that. T-shirt. That's, That's good, a T-shirt yeah. right there. Go to confession. <laughs> annihilate a few strongholds today. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And we we have to talk like that because there there is power. You know, right. if you read the Gospels, there's power. Christ came with power. He came to destroy the reign exactly. of evil, destroy mm -hmm. Satan, bind He's not Satan. An effeminate hippie, but go ahead. Yeah, he came to liberate us. Uh, he's man, the savior. Man. He's the model and. And he, the, his death on the cross is what brought us redemption. Like he, he's yep. the man's man kind of thing. So yep. go to him and let him reach into your soul through the priest and the confessional and rip out all these evil things. But I would say to annihilate him, annihilate him, that's right, yes. annihilate. <laughs> I say to prepare for that. What I learned from my own experience, you know, inspired by the teachings that I was reading for um, slaying dragons, take up. A good prayer, like if it's been a long time since you went to confession, don't just go. Don't just go all of a sudden. Maybe you should because you're in a state of mortal sin, but do a little prep work first. Because um, I had this opportunity back during the COVID time when no one could go to mass. Like Pentecost was coming up. That was our first time almost. I had to skip one Sunday because I decided, let me really prepare. I haven't received the Eucharist in months. The first time could be Pentecost. So I did this novena to Pen on, for Pentecost. I prepared my soul to go back to communion for the first time in a very long time not by my own desire, but because of COVID. So with confession, if you haven't been in a long time and you need to, because you know you've dabbled, you know that you have these mortal sins from your youth or whatever that you've been have been carrying with you and not laying down, pray, start a prayer routine first. You know, Start using the holy water in your house first. Start blessing yourself every day with holy water. Put a little, get some blessed salt from the priest, put a little holy blessed salt in your food. You can consume these. Mm. Uh, adore a crucifix. Worship our Lord through a blessed crucifix. Get a crucifix blessed by the, by the priest. The whole point here is that these sacramentals are designed to condition our souls to receive the sacraments more effectively. Right. Then go to confession, primed, for this moment of warfare, for this moment of liberation, that Christ can ransom you from the kingdom of darkness in that moment. And some of the people I've interviewed from my book, especially The Rise of the Occult, have had profound, almost mystical experiences during confession because they got it. They understood what was about to happen and what was happening. And it and that's there's the faith. The more faith we have in those moments, same applies to the Eucharist. Receive the Eucharist more faithfully. God can deliver special graces to us because of our faith. So that would be the big start. Not just go to confession, but go to confession well. Go to confession prepared and ready to do, do battle and let Christ do battle for you. Nowadays, you can Google an examination of conscience. Mm -hmm. But I, I've always gone to that because you, you're, you're sitting there preparing for confession. Oh, I don't know. Not, I don't know. You can start doing an examination of conscience or you ask a question. You go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a great way to prepare.
Yeah. And I had a priest one time for my birthday walk me through. It was a priest I knew. He walked me through an examination of conscience. He just volunteered. So it was like a 20-minute confession. Nice. But he was asking me things that I'd never thought of. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done that. Okay, yeah. I confess that one too. And it was so refreshing. So priests maybe should offer that more. Like if you want me to lead you through a confession, make an appointment. Even if you've been a devout Catholic for 15 years, you, you right. may need this experience. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's a great way for us to end, Charles. This is, we got to have you back, but uh, yeah. this has been yeah. fantastic. Um, so uh, please, everyone, be that bright light, but go plug yourself into the the power of God, you know, uh, nurture, cultivate that beautiful love relationship with God, and then bring that light you receive out to the world. Amen. All right. Amen. Let's end with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Father.